In song and in prayer, we have exalted Jesus as Lord of all. We've sought to honor him as our king. Now let's listen to what he has to say to his church. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6, where we hear the words that we have prayed so many times, and some commentary on those words. One of the petitions that we pray is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Jesus has something to add about that after the Lord's Prayer. Look at Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That might bother you if you just sang a few moments ago that forgiveness was purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Here it sounds like forgiveness depends on your willingness to forgive other people. And that bothersome thought is fleshed out in a story Jesus tells. Look at Matthew chapter 18. And although we'll not read the whole chapter, we will begin at verse 21 with a question by one of Jesus' followers and the story that Jesus tells afterwards. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Well, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Well, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. When I hear that story, I think of Mark Twain that famous articulate religious skeptic once said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. 
This story is really not all that hard to understand. It's pretty straightforward, actually. It says what Jesus says more succinctly in the Sermon on the Mount. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. And that bothers me for a couple of reasons. For one, I've always been taught and I have always taught that forgiveness is a free gift. That God in mercy and grace looks down from holy heaven on unworthy you and me and forgives us based on what his son did, suffering in our place, the just penalty for our sin, and that uh, we simply extend empty, needy hands to receive this free gift. I can't earn it. But how can it be a free gift if it's somehow dependent on my forgiving other people? That, that's one reason that this story bothers me. Another reason is, frankly, forgiveness is hard. Isn't it? it, it it's, it's hard. And it's harder for some than for others. Some have suffered more deeply or more long-term than others. Um, some are more naturally merciful by temperament. And there might even be a cultural or ethnic component to this. Long before jury selection became a science, Clarence Darrow recognized that certain kinds of people are more likely than others to be merciful. One of the most colorful and best-known trial attorneys of all time wrote to his fellow lawyers, if you want your client to be judged guilty, then fill the jury with Norwegians or Northern Europeans. If you want them to be acquitted, fill the jury with Southern Europeans. Beware of Lutherans especially Scandinavian Lutherans. They are almost sure to convict. If you have a Scandinavian Lutheran jury, tell your client to plead guilty. <laughs> so this parable of Jesus bothers me for a couple reasons. How can forgiveness be a free gift if it's tied to my willingness to forgive others and forgiveness is hard? There you are. There's the story. If you want God to forgive you, you better forgive other people. A king wants to settle accounts with his servants. Maybe they are officials charged with collecting revenue in the kingdom. Maybe they are heads of government departments with huge budgets. It doesn't matter. What really matters is that the day of reckoning has come and one man is in big trouble, really big trouble. He owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest unit of money in the Roman system. 10,000 of them would be billions of dollars, not millions, as in the footnotes of some translations, billions of dollars, more, in fact, than all the money in circulation in that country at the time. Jesus has done here what he does in a lot of his parables. He exaggerates 
to make a point. Pay attention to this. This is important, is what his exaggeration is saying. And this debt is yours and mine. The king, of course, is God. His servants, you and I. And what do we owe him? Nothing less than a tomb. And we're supposed to serve this king, not grudgingly, but from a heart that prizes and loves him. Jesus echoed what Moses said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So you and I are in big trouble. Because we have not done that. We have not paid the debt. We cannot pay that debt. Not only are we guilty of sins of commission, that is, we have done things that we shouldn't do, lust, stealing, disobedience to parents, selfishness, and the like. We're also guilty of sins of omission, kind words that should have been spoken but weren't, brave deeds that should have been done but weren't, love that should have been expressed. In the words of the old prayer book, we have left undone the things which we ought to have done and have done those things which we ought not to have done and there is no health in us. Now this servant who owes all that money says to the king, be patient with me and, and I will pay you back everything. Well, desperate people will say almost anything. This is absurd. He owes more money than Bill Gates has. There's no way he's going no to pay this debt. His situation is hopeless, and so is ours. Because even if we could somehow, starting tomorrow or in the next hour, to do everything right until the day we die, not sin by commission, not sin by omission, but live perfectly, that would just be what we owe God tomorrow. Yesteryear's debt is still unpaid. But into our hopeless situation comes gospel. Good news. The king forgives the debt. He doesn't say, okay, I'll give you another year. He doesn't garnish the man's wages so that he at least gets back some of what is owed him. He just forgives the debt. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. He forgives all our transgressions. Just like that. So, how do faulty forgiven folk treat our fellow servants? Well, we forgive them, of course, right? <laughs> because no matter what they have done to us, their debt is minuscule compared to what we owe God. Right? In 1963 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, at the University of Alabama campus, Vivian Malone, a young black woman, 
enrolled as a student at the university, but not without opposition. Federal troops were there to make sure that she could go to school, but her way was blocked by Governor George Wallace, who was still at the time holding out for segregation. Though he failed in his attempt, and Vivian became the first African-American student ever to graduate from the University of Alabama. She wasn't the only African-American that day seeking to enroll at the university. James Wood was at her side, but he was scared and needed some encouragement. And Vivian helped him along by passing him a note, a very simple note. It was a prayer. Whatever may be our adversary this day, our Father, help us face it with courage, for it can be conquered when thou art with us. In faith we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you may know, Governor Wallace eventually came to regret his stance and his actions of that year, and uh, many years later was taken in his wheelchair to the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, and there he asked the black congregation to forgive him for his racism and hardness of heart. <clears throat> he, he regretted how he had treated Vivian that day and sought her out for forgiveness. He wanted to make amends before he died. Vivian did meet with him and told him that she had actually forgiven him years earlier. Interviewed about this in 2003, she was asked, you said you had forgiven him many years earlier? Oh, yes. And why did you do that? Her reply, this may sound weird, but I'm a Christian, and I grew up in the church, and I was taught that, just as I was taught that no other person was better than I, that we were equal in the sight of God, I was also taught you forgive people, no matter what. And that's why I had to do it. I felt like I didn't have a choice. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, some of our debtors have sinned grievously against us, it is true. And we dare not trivialize this bothersome word and this bothersome story from Jesus. Our Fathers is a movie that dramatized the hidden sexual abuse that rocked the Roman Catholic Church in the last couple of decades. In one scene, a group of the victims gather at a local bar to celebrate their face-to-face -face confrontation with Cardinal Law, where they told him all about their horrific experiences as sexually abused by parish priests. And in one scene, one of the victims, Tommy, shares a stunning revelation of his visit to see the priest who had abused him. I hadn't told you guys about this. What's that? Tommy said, Birmingham. I, I, I went to look for Father Birmingham. He was dying, and I drove to the hospital to see him. And then the scene shifts to the hospital room. Tommy says, Father, it's Tommy. Tommy Blanchette from Sudbury. I've come to visit you. You remember me, don't you, Father? And the dying priest wears an incredulous expression as he lies there with tubes coming out everywhere. Tommy moves over and sits next to Father Birmingham and says, I hated you, you know. 
What you did to me and my brothers, to those other kids, was wrong. He begins to weep. He says, you shamed me, Father. How could you do that? Still fighting back tears, Tommy gets control of his emotions and says, the real reason I've come is I want you to forgive me. Forgive me for hating you for years. I believe, Father, the promise that Jesus Christ made to us is true. Would it be all right if I prayed for you? He takes hold of the priest's hand and says, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, forgive Father Birmingham. Father, forgive him his sins so that he too may have eternal life. But the servant in Jesus' story leaves his master's presence and whatever glow of gratitude and grace he felt and should have felt forever fades by the time he encounters a fellow servant who owes him a hundred bucks. And he turns a deaf ear to the same plea for mercy that he himself uttered an hour earlier. Throws the other guy into debtor's prison. And fellow servants are outraged. And, and we are too. This should not be. This must not be. And Jesus says, this will not be. In the Father's kingdom, there are no unforgivers. And the king gives this wretch a tongue lashing and hands him over to, well, the New International Version says jailers. It's tormentors or torturers. Jewish law forbid torture in prison, but the Romans would sometimes torture prisoners in hope of extorting bribes from the family. And this is the imagery that Jesus uses to depict the fate of the unforgiving. The servant will remain in jail until he pays back the billions that he owes, which is forever. You couldn't earn money when you were in prison, besides which it was an impossible sum of money. He's in debt with no hope of ever getting out and paying it. And I'm afraid, as I've said, that this story is all too easy to understand. Jesus is talking about hell. Torment. Everlasting. This is the Bible's language for judgment. And then... Jesus finishes the story and says, this is how my father will treat you if you're unwilling to forgive other people from your heart. If you won't forgive, you can't be forgiven. You can't be saved. You can't go to heaven. Michelle was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, Christian college. She married a Christian guy, attended church, lived a comfortable, middle-class life. And one day she was in an adult Sunday school class like we have here, and the teacher taught on this parable 
And afterward, Michelle came up to him and really accosted him and said, you don't know what my father was like. Overbearing, demanding, never giving me freedom, stifling my creativity, my independence, quashing most of my desires. I can never forgive him. I will never forgive him. Well, a brief conversation went nowhere, and the teacher went home distressed over Michelle's hardness of heart. And for a decade, he never saw her again, but he did see Joe, her husband, once in a while. And sometime after that Bible study class, they separated and divorced, and Joe told the teacher that Michelle no longer showed any interest in spiritual things, wasn't sure she believed in Christ at all. And the teacher wondered if Jesus would say, she never really believed in me. Now, we, don't ju we can't judge. We don't know people's hearts. And, and that's a good thing, that we're not in the position of flawlessly discerning every human heart. But the sad sequel to that Bible study underscores the power of this story and Jesus' words about the link between Christ, Christian salvation and our ability or willingness to forgive other people. It is not that we earn forgiveness from God by forgiving other people. God's mercy comes first. God's mercy precedes. But mercy doesn't just wipe the slate clean. Mercy is a power that begins a life-changing, lifelong process of transformation in our hearts. It does not make us perfect all at once. It doesn't make us perfect at forgiving or at any other virtue all at once. But it does begin this work of inner transformation, making us more like our Heavenly Father. And if there is no family resemblance, if we don't look like God in this as in other areas, if there's no mercy, no willingness to try at least to forgive, it shows that we have not really truly experienced the Father's mercy which transforms those who receive it. And that answers one of my objections to this story, the, the notion that somehow Jesus in chapter 6 and in chapter 18 makes our forgiveness dependent on our forgiving. No, no. We're forgiven by grace, through faith, and that grace begins its work. I wish it were faster. <laughs> but it begins its work of making us holy like our Father. Including making us people who forgive. My other objection, the, the other reason that I say this story bothers me is that because uh, forgiveness is hard, and there's no answer for that one. Forgiveness is hard. So was the cross. Hard words, hard wood, hard nails. It's hard. 
still, I want to I soften Jesus' teaching by bringing in other texts that speak a, a balancing word, like, like earlier in Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about church discipline. When someone wrongs you deeply, forgiveness is not your only recourse. Your church family should hold the offender accountable. And if he won't be reconciled, the elders don't just say, oh, well, yeah, I guess we've got to forgive him anyway. No, Jesus says, discipline him. But that's another text for another sermon on another day. I think today we need to let Jesus' bothersome story have its way with us. Or maybe I should bring in Luke 17 where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times the same day and seven times comes to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And so we see that for forgiveness and reconciliation to work ideally, the offender must repent. And tremendous damage can result when an unrepentant, chronic abuser gets a blank check of forgiveness again and again. But that's another text for another sermon on another day. We need to let Jesus' bothersome story do its work in us today. And what Jesus says to us today is, if you want to forgive, if you want God to forgive you, and you won't forgive other people, you can go to hell. Some of you who have been around for a long time may remember that I preached this parable once before and ended right there. In fact, I had told the musicians in advance, when I come out down off the platform, I don't want you to come up and begin the concluding music for a full minute. I, I just want those heavy words to kind of hang in the air. I'm not going to do that today for one reason. It might feel kind of like a gimmick to repeat the same ending. But another reason, truthfully, is I don't think I'm as brave as Jesus. On more than one occasion, he would say something really hard, and then, then he wouldn't try and soften it. He would let people squirm with it. Whereas I know myself and I know you well enough to know that none of us are perfect forgivers, and the last thing in the world I would want is for anybody to leave thinking, because I'm having a hard time forgiving that one who so grievously abused me year in and year out, the pastor says I can go to hell. So instead of ending with those words, I'm going to say, let's pray. And Father, I pray that you would help us very imperfect forgivers to become more like Jesus and more like you, even though we're not there yet. Don't let us, like Michelle, dig in our heels and say that no matter what the Bible says, we will not forgive those who have sinned against us. 
Help us to take seriously this sobering, bothersome story that our master told and then just left there. Fortunately, the same Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew to record this parable and the Lord's Prayer is now still alive and working in the church and can apply the truth to each person present and those watching online as he knows best. In that trust, we're going to ask that in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, you make us more like Jesus and let all his people say, Amen. Amen.